Hello and welcome to the Flat Back 3 podcast. My name is Toby Wellington. I am your host. And as always, I'm joined by George Woodgate-Turner wearing a beautiful South Africa shirt and Alistair, the Claret Crusader Blackwell in his absolutely beautiful Holland shirt. I'm obviously wearing an Ivory Coast shirt for anyone that can't tell. So we've gone two African and one European team as we continue to try and make sure we've got different shirt on every week to try and... <laughs> things up but like my two co-hosts the show is absolutely stacked this week so we're going to get straight into things obviously before we do don't forget to follow us on instagram and listen like share and subscribe on youtube and spotify but gents how has your week been so far yeah all good here mate the evenings are coming out a bit now aren't they very, yeah. very nice yeah 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 all good evenings are evenings are definitely coming out whatever that means <laughs> I mean, the, de- the days are getting longer, which is which is nice. No, still 24 hours. Alistair, anything okay. to add? <laughs> um, I'll keep it sweet. All good. All good. Perfect. Wonderful stuff. Well, we're going to dive straight in because we've got one new segment or one newish segment. Um, but first and foremost, we always want to touch on what's happened in the Premier League this weekend. Premier League... Weirdly, again, hasn't thrown up anything of interest, to be honest, in terms of its results. Everything that happened was fairly predictable. But obviously, there's one thing that we have to talk about. Christian Eriksen made his first start in, um, well, since his collapse at the Euros last year. He played for Brentford away at Norwich, started the game in central midfield and by all accounts had a really good game. Um, Arguably the highlight of the weekend in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Had a really good game, didn't he? Um, I would obviously took the corner for the first goal, um, but like the funniest part of uh, of, of that game was the whole uh, Williams Ericsson scenario, where Williams was yeah. about to you know give give Ericsson one, but realised it was realised Christian Ericsson. Everybody's so happy to have Christian Ericsson back in yeah. football that. He just gave him a little cuddle, which was yeah. just one of the best moments of the season, without a doubt. <laughs> he, he had a great game, and I don't think it's a surprise that his return has coincided with probably Brentford's best performance of the season since the first game against Arsenal. Um, Alistair, what were your thoughts on it? Happy to see him back, obviously, but how do you think he impacted Brentford? Yeah, good to see him back. Um, you know, obviously, especially after such a like terrible thing which happened and I remember when we were speaking about it at the time um on the podcast and uh and yeah you, you straight away you just go with the whole like he he just won't return to football because they won't allow it uh, medically they're gonna just put him off straight away but he's managed to do it which is brilliant um and yeah overall a really really good game for him obviously he's, he Crossed a corner in for uh, what was it, the first goal, I think, or the second goal? Yeah, yeah. So Ivan Tony scored a hat trick, obviously, is another highlight of the game, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I, what was your second question? I couldn't even remember. And did he have a, a positive impact, you think, which oh, you started yeah. to answer? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I mean, because he did have a game before as well where he came on, didn't he? Yeah. So he came on last week against Newcastle, but I don't think that he was able to get into the game coming off the bench, but also. Them being, I think, 2-0 down when he came on makes it obviously more yeah. difficult because they're chasing the game. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's one of those. You've just got to give him time. Like, any player who's coming back into football from an injury, you have to give him a few games. And and especially if they're coming back into the Premier League, the intensity, 
Um, but with his situation, obviously, it's even more delicate where he's coming back from, obviously, a, um, a cardiac arrest, wasn't it? Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, give him. He's got to give himself a break, and people understand that it's going to take time for him to get back into it. Um, so, yeah, maybe in like, uh, it might take the rest of this season, and then look look into next season. Maybe if Brentford is still up, yeah. um, then you might start getting a bit more of his decent uh, form back again. So, no, it's it's great to see him back in there, and excited to see him hopefully um, like have a have a positive impact like uh, Coutinho. Oh, and he's frozen. Brilliant. So Alistair's frozen, so we can take the mick out of that in a minute when he comes back. Oh, there he is. He's moving again. Alistair, <laughs> Alistair, Alistair froze like the Aston, Alistair froze there like the Aston Villa defence every week. I was, so, I was just about to say, even Zoom's had enough of Alistair talking about uh, Aston Villa. Yeah, Coutinho scored one, missed about eight chances, but yeah, great player. Um, we're just oh, in Villa. the same... No, shut up, shut up, shut up. In the same game... In the same game, you were late to the, the call, so no. The, uh, <laughs> the, the the same game saw essentially Norwich get relegated for me. Like, they had to beat the teams like Brentford at home to give themselves a chance of staying up. But surely now they're gone, George, aren't they? I don't know. I'm wearing my yellow and green today. Oh, still... <laughs> don't, don't. Don't. Until it's over. It's not over oh, until it's over. Off. I don't wouldn't write them off. They're, they're cut I... adrift. They're cut adrift. They've lost at home to teams that they should be beating all season. They've lost away to pretty much everyone. I just, I can't, as much as like even I a few weeks ago said there is a chance that they could stay up. Now I think they are pretty much dead and buried. It would have to be a monumental effort on the level of Leicester winning the league for them to stay up now. Alistair, as someone who's got a realistic thought process on this, <laughs> they're gone. Yeah? Yeah, I'm looking at, I looked at all their fixtures and and the thing is, even a game like Burnley, where that's the game they sh- they need to win, you can't see them winning it. Like it's, a, it's even a sh- if they even if they did win, they'd have to win pretty much like what six, seven other games. Yeah, I mean they're what they're five points behind. They need two wins at the moment to get out of relegation. Um, but even then, you got but that's three games. The thing that. is, like Just you it. say. You say that, that relies on everyone else losing the rest of their games as well. But you can see the other... It's more likely, I can see Burnley picking up points. They kept Chelsea quiet for a whole... Like, for the first half on the weekend. Whereas whereas Norwich were 1-0 down in, what was it, like, 10 minutes? No, sorry, they were 2-0 down in, like, 10 minutes against Brentford. They're just not clinical in front of goal, are they? Oh, mate. They haven't signed a good striker for about six or seven years. There's Mm. nothing about them. They they are that yo-yo team who... Happy to come up, get the, get the money, go down, parachute payment, and just recycle, recycle, sell players. They'll sell mm. what? Uh, Todd Cantwell's still there, isn't he? He's yeah, so Todd loan. Cantwell's there, but he's he's out on loan at the minute, so isn't his um, stock isn't as high as it was. But when he goes back into the championship like with Norwich, oh, you know, and 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 they'll just they'll sell. They'll sell the likes of they'll sell the likes of like Max Aaron's or go for a decent price. I'm probably sure that someone will come in for um, Milot Rajitsa because he's been decent this season on the wing. They've also got um, that young lad who's come through, and I can't remember his name. I think it's Rowe that's come on and made a difference in the last couple of games. He's looked really decent, to be Mm. fair. And but they could, you know, they could either stick with him and put him in the team more, or take the money while it's on offer. Yeah. They've still got players like Onel Hernandez, who's out on loan. They obviously got the money from deals like Buendia in the summer. So 
they'll they'll be back again, Norwich, but I just I can't see them getting all the points they need plus Burnley and the others who are like Burnley mainly, but also you've got obviously like your Everton's, Newcastle, Leeds, Brentford dropping that many points. Yeah. And and they obviously were touching on centre backs later, but like you just look at Ben Gibson and Grant Hanley. I think Hanley's decent in the air, but I think that both of them are like centre back, uh, championship centre backs, really, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's where they're faulting. It's like, even if we talk about like the shape of them as well, like we could go all day talking about Norwich, but like when they play four at the back, your centre backs have to be really decent in terms of like they have to have a bit of pace about them, they have to be good at playing out, they have to be good on the floor and in the air. And like you said, Grant Hanley's decent in the air. I don't mean to be horrible, but what's Ben Gibson good at? Like, he gave away two penalties against um, against Brentford. I don't think I've ever really, since he was at Middlesbrough, heard anyone say that Ben Gibson is a top player. Um, so, like, what? Uh, it's the same thing, though. Like, they do invest, but they don't invest enough to keep themselves up, do they? That's the problem. You think about, like, Norwich coming up last season... You look at who went down, just poach their best players. That doesn't seem to happen as much anymore. But just like, what about Joe Gomez from Liverpool on loan from the season for the yeah. season? Well, they like, tried to deal with that uh, with Williams, didn't they? For Man United, the left back. I actually thought that was a good sign at the time. But um, yeah, hasn't really helped, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know who Owen Williams is, but I know who Brandon Williams is that's on loan from I, just, I just said Williams. <laughs> oh, I thought you said Owen Williams. <laughs> Well, let's move on from Norwich and very, very briefly talk about Leeds United. They had their first game under Jesse March, who becomes only the third manager in the Premier League to be from the United States, which I thought was an interesting fact in itself, because I can't think of the third one, which probably is obvious. But obviously there was Bob Bradley, who was in charge at Swansea, but I can't remember who the other one is. Um, So I'll leave that with you for a second. Um, But Leeds lost 1-0 at Leicester. But they did look a lot better than they have done in recent weeks. Do you think that with the squad they have, and if they're a bit more solid defensively, because he's openly said they're going to change the way they play, do you think Leeds can stay up if Bamford gets fit and Phillips comes back? Mm, Yeah, definitely. I think Phillips and Bamford are just key players for their team. Um, And it's all about, at the bottom of the league, of course, in any game of football, you need your strikers firing because that's what scores goals and wins your games. But especially when you're at the bottom, you, it's, you need your strikers to pick up points as much as you can. So if Bamford's there, they've got a chance of scraping up a few points for sure. Yeah. Alistair, what are your thoughts, mate? Uh, I, I just stick with what I've said in past podcasts, really, or episodes. Just, um, I just think there's three other teams which are worse and that'll just yeah. keep them up. You know they'll they'll get they'll get points wet here and there around the teams you know with the teams around them maybe like Burnley Norwich whoever they've got play um, they they've still got more than enough to get those and having a new manager always has that kind of that honeymoon you know usually has that honeymoon period where they pick up some early games wins um, so yeah. You know, I, I just think they'll stay up. There won't be any problem. It'll just be interesting to see, like you said, um, they're going to change the style of play and how that's going to, you know, is that going to work in their favour for next season? They'll need to sign players. Um, yeah. Yeah, I oh, know. I totally agree. I think the Leeds probably got enough to stay up, but not by a lot. I think it's going to be, it's going to be tight. I think that, 
Brentford have probably done themselves a massive favour this weekend by picking up a win at Norwich. And Newcastle looking like they're probably going to swim to safety quite comfortably mm. at the minute. They're winning games that they should be winning. They're looking quite good in doing it, like they kept Brighton really quiet this weekend. Another good result for them. Um, I think the last thing to touch on, actually, I just had a look. I don't think that if you gave me that's if you gave me the rest of my life, I don't think that I would have said that former Huddersfield manager David Wagner was the other American manager in the Premier League because I thought he was German. Yeah. But so there did I. <laughs> there you go. He's the other one. Um, you could have given me the rest of my lifetime. He would not have been a guest. Um, let's talk about the title race. Man City opened up the six-point gap again over Liverpool, but Liverpool continue to stay right on their tail. It, we, we've said it for weeks. It's going to come down to that game at the Etihad, isn't it? But, George, as a Liverpool fan, are you still confident or are you thinking that Man City are just going to keep grinding out results because they absolutely battered United and we all know how much the three of us love seeing United lose. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a battering, wasn't it? Um, as much as I would love Liverpool to keep winning games, we were lucky yesterday against West Ham. Uh, we rode our luck. We had a lot of good chances. We were playing really well, but on a different day, West Ham, we that could have easily been a draw. Well, the thing is... Result. West Ham had a lot of chances and it comes down to that West Ham debate, which we could have next week as to what they need to become a top four side. Because take Mikel Antonio out of that team for a few games, they don't really have a recognised striker and he doesn't really score many goals. Mm. Um, so yeah, Liverpool got really lucky. Alistair, who's going to win the title? Is it City or is it Liverpool? It's a difficult one, really. I, I think it genuinely is. You look at you know both teams just at face value, um, and they're both on form, you know, they're both playing well, scoring lots of goals, got lots of goal scorers and defensively solid. And you say about obviously Liverpool winning, getting lucky yesterday. And, you know, everyone knows that in order to win the Premier League title, you have to have the luck go your way in some of the games. And, you know, okay, you can say maybe Liverpool riding that luck a bit too much at the moment, but, you know, it's got to happen at some point, you know, that one nil win, they just, they got the goal, I think, just, it went in their favour because it was just, just... Tight VAR decision, yeah. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing which goes in your favour when things go in your way and it looks like titles come in your way. Um, obviously, it's not that easy to say because City are ahead by three three points. Um, Six going into the game at, uh, at the Etihad. So... Um, but 100%, I, I still think, like you said, it's going to come down to that game at the Etihad as to whether City will win that and just that'll be it, or Liverpool win it, win it and it's all to play for. It won't be Liverpool. Yeah, a draw, like a draw doesn't do anything for either. Of, well, it does more for City than it does Liverpool. Like Liverpool can go there and draw and it's not a good result. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, yeah, hopefully it gets to that point. Hopefully, Liverpool don't slip up, and in that, you know, in those games up to the Etihad, um, and it comes to that game because that'll be a massive game to watch. Which just to sort of touch on what you were mentioning beforehand in terms of like the way Liverpool ride their luck, I think Liverpool, and I'm sorry to say it, George, I do think Liverpool are on their way to a good ass whipping at some point in the next few months because they are so open at the back. Sometimes I think. I know they won the League Cup final, but I think what Chelsea had like four disallowed goals or three, whatever it was. They missed a couple of really good chances as well that would have stood had they got them in. 
Um, like you said, West Ham had a lot of chances. They went one nil down against Norwich. Like, I think they're they're on track for a good ass whipping at some point in the future. And I think if they're not careful, it will come in that game at the Etihad because Man City, like we've seen today, if they want to, they can turn it on and turn a team over. Yeah, I was just thinking then. The only reason why I favour City is because I think Pep's more flexible with his tactics. Um, obviously, from last season, they had a recognised centre-forward, whereas this season they're playing with that false nine sort of approach. And I think, as an all-rounded team, I think City are more solid and more consistent than Liverpool. Yeah. Like, yeah. you saw the massive difference that when Van Dijk was out last season, but Klopp insisted to keep playing his tactics with a high line. In a way, it's like Bielsa at Leeds. It's the same thing. He went same. Yeah. Uh, he went the same approach with his um, tactics and his uh, and his principles, which you know Liverpool dropped down quite uh, quite a bit. Um, but it's only now Van Dijk's come back. But as you know, as you say, we are we are quite open at the back, which could yeah. uh, be our downfall at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just uh, it's it's a risk that Liverpool run every week, and at the minute, I'm getting more and more nervous every time they play that they're going to start conceding a boatload. But let's move on from the Premier League because the Premier League title race, as we say, is still alive and well. The race for Europe and the relegation race is alive and well. But we're going to move on to a segment where we're going to try and force a debate out the three of us to make sure that um, you know this podcast is looking at specific issues or specific discussion points that we want to go over and Alistair has come up with our topic this week and what we're going to do is we're going to hand over to Alistair to introduce his topic of discussion quickly. Sure, ideal. Uh, right, so I was, it was an early one this morning going through a few bits, I wanted to look at like what to talk about um, so I was roaming through loads of things so I wanted to go over a few facts which I thought were quite cool just beforehand um and obviously it'll be questions in there see if you know them just a bit of fun before we go on to the main topic um so go straight into it brazil who were their first ever opponents in uh football uh england george argentina okay interesting okay um so Brazil's first ever opponents in 1914 was Exeter City Football Club. No. I did actually, yeah, I did actually know that because they were there to teach. Uh, they ended up teaching the Brazilians how to play, was it? Because they were there for mining. Is that right? Yeah, so it was, it was that alongside they, they were going on a tour um, of South America, playing eight different matches, um, and they... It, I can't remember what it's called. The Senen, I don't know the pronunciation of um, like Brazil's team, but it's the Senenchao or Senencao. Yeah. It means Brazilian national national team or something. So um, at the time, they didn't have a team in Brazil and uh, they just picked the best players in Brazil at the time, formed the team um, and they played Exeter City and uh, yeah, Exeter lost 2-0 to Brazil. And this has been history with the Claret Crusader. <laughs> well, I love that. We promised, <laughs> we promised there is a discussion coming out of this. There is, point. yeah. A <laughs> um, couple, couple quick others because I did, I was just, I got lost in it in the end, down rabbit hole. Um, yeah, yeah. Who are the oldest club in uh, officially in uh, FIFA's 
uh, football history. Well, what, still active? Still active. Is it Notts County? Nope. In the, nope. In the world? In the world, yeah. O- officially, according to FIFA. And I'll give you a clue. They're currently... Oh, they're George will take eight days to answer. So. <laughs> like the 57 goals with Aguero. Yeah. Oh, well, um, we're going back to that later on. Don't worry. So, here's a clue. They're currently in the Northern Premier League division in the UK. Northern Premier League division. It's like Sheffield FC. Sheffield FC. Yeah, yeah. because I yeah, it was Sheffield FC, but I didn't know if they were still going. So that's really interesting as well. Yeah, I know Notts County are up there as one of this as well. Okay, one li- one quick one, um, and then I'll get on to the main topic. Um, you said that twice, but yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I get excited over these. I love them. What player has played for six Champions League winning teams, but has never won it himself? Oh. Oh, I think I know oh. this, isn't it? Go on, no, on. no, he's won the Champions League. Sorry, I was going to say Seydorf, but he's won three. Seydorf won three. Yeah, <laughs> with three different teams. Yeah, that's well. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> why I got like the yeah link from. So yeah, and it's not Seydorf. And, and that's poor guessing from George again, based on the Aguero thing. So, so six <laughs> clubs that have won the Champions League, and he's never, never won, won it, it with any of them himself. Yeah. Um, I don't know to be fair. Uh, Diego Forlan. No, it is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Oh, yeah, of course yeah. it is. Yeah, that's a really good one. Okay, now, best centre back partnerships is the debate. Okay, so I hope you've all prepared. Yeah, so just to give our listeners and watchers some context, Alistair texted us at midday today to give us less than <laughs> half a day to prepare. So yeah. when he says, hope you've prepared, we've crammed it in around the Manchester derby and everything else we've been doing. That but... should have been the focus of the day for both of you today, as well as well, me. But I was, I was having a, a kind of think about this, and it's quite an interesting one because, you know, we've talked about this in the past about, um, like, uh, the Ballon d'Or, with obviously it's usually those attacking players who get all of the, um, like, the, the attention um they're the ones who usually win the Ballon d'Or you never usually get you've only had several defenders who have won it and rarely mid you like holding midfielders goalkeepers um so I thought best centre-back partnership was quite interesting because it's easy to think of partnerships different ones which we'll discuss but um actually thinking why you know, for like obvious reasons why they're they're a best partnership is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Because you think like best strikers in the world, you're gonna go to the ones who are obviously scoring loads of goals and all of that. So best partnerships, obviously clean sheets are gonna be a massive factor in this. And um, but it'd be quite interesting to see what makes a best partnership as well. So um, I don't know we'll if you've think- got different thoughts about that, which would be quite interesting to discuss really, because it's quite an interesting one, I think. Um, yeah, and we'll see if we can give ourselves a ranked top three of all time set about partnerships, just to add that little bit of tension between the three of us that I'm sure we can create. Um, do you want to sort of go with like we did last week when we talked about best players in the world at the moment and sort of give one each um, and discuss that one at a time? Go for it. Yep. Sounds good. Well, to we'll, me. we'll start with Alistair then, seeing as it's your topic. Do you want to go straight in with one of your first ones, mate? So, 
this one uh, is kind of like one of the main ones, obviously in the Premier League and that. Um, if you say if you say Olaf Melberg and Martin Lawerson, <laughs> I'm going to drive to your house and kick you in the face. <laughs> I did have that as a personal one because I always remember that, but that wasn't mine. Um, Just because you remember it doesn't make it good, mate. <laughs> partnership, all right. Um, mine is uh, Vidic and Ferdinand. Yeah. yeah. Just a, it is. It was a great one at the time. Obviously, you know, as a youngster, you followed the Premier League. Well, I followed the Premier League and not as much of other leagues. And you remembered United's dominance. And those two were literally the epitome of what you wanted in your club. Um, the, the players, both Vidic and Ferdinand, were. Um, at the time, 100%. Do you not think? Nah. I, See, I've, I've always been... I'm always going to be the one in this conversation. I never thought Rio Ferdinand was that good. I really didn't. I thought Rio Ferdinand, I was made to look good by Nemanja Vidic for all the time. Was, wasn't, I, I, yeah, I can, I can see that. Whether he was or wasn't, he was still part of that partnership, which makes... Oh, well, yeah, but then that's the same as like last week. You're saying, like, oh, he was part of the partnership, but if he wasn't what was special about it, then he doesn't... Like, in my... In my he always comes up, and it always comes up this partnership, and absolutely they deserve some recognition. Um, but I don't think that they're one of the best partnerships. Well, they no, I don't know. I think that Vidic, you could have put Vidic alongside anyone in the world, and he would have made any other centre back look decent. Um, you got to remember that he played alongside the likes of Wes Brown and John O'Shea, and made them look decent. Um, and whenever they left afterwards, they looked crap. I mean, just think about what Ferdinand did when he left United. He went to QPR, was horrific for a season, and then retired. Mm. So, you know, it's just those little things, I think. Yeah, and you think about things, players like Thiago Silva now, who's still an older pro and can still play at a really high level. So maybe that's just going on Toby's point there. Maybe Vidic was covering Ferdinand then then, more than we thought he, he was. There were games where Vidic had absolute stinkers. I always remember that 4-1 at uh, Liverpool beating them at United and Vidic got sent off for two fouls in like an hour. Like, he wasn't the best centre-back in the world, Vidic. He wasn't the best of all time, but he was far better than Ferdinand was. And I think that, what was it, like nine million they paid for him? Like, he was an an incredible signing for what they paid. But, yeah. Well... I don't know, like... That, yeah, but that makes on. it interesting just because like you're saying about that and you it's coming down to the individuality of the players then, isn't it? So, with, you know, like we were saying about best centre-back partnerships, what are we de- what are we determining by... Well, exactly, yeah. It's... So, obviously, you know, the players individually could be, um, like Ferdinand as an individual, when he's exposed in a, in a worse team, could be worse. Um, that yeah. you actually look at in United and you go at face value when you look at the result itself and if they've got you know you could look at the stats and say maybe him and Vidic together I don't know the oh stats. yeah I have no doubt I have no doubt that they'll be incredibly high a great amount of clean sheets and duels won recoveries etc etc um, but no it, it it's just um, saying that makes it interesting because obviously what does make the partnership itself yeah. actually 
you know comes down to personal preference as well a little yeah. bit but there is always a like like you said none of us have got stats this is a discussion point and yeah i think if you look at one perspective that i've always thought about with the Vidic and ferdinand debate is that there was a period where Chelsea, Mourinho's Chelsea were just so dominant in England and they took that mantle from Arsenal and United and that Arsenal United sort of um, that transition from it being Arsenal United coincided with the fact that United were playing you know I can't even think who was in their back four most of the time other than Neville and Ferdinand Mm -hmm. and it was the introduction of Patrice Evra and Nemanja Vidic that took United back to the top so it's again, it's those little things, but I, I completely understand why you would say them. And I understand that, like, statistically, they probably are the best in the yeah. league, maybe of all time. I don't know. So, okay. So, when you guys give yours, like, your your best partnerships, it'd be interesting, like, if you, if you have an answer at hand, like, just give a quick kind of um, reason or a, a big determining factor in what, what makes a good partnership. Yeah, I mean, like, I can give you to give a bit more of a, a, a reasoning behind your answer. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think no. what we're what we're saying there is that you haven't defended your defenders very well. <laughs> yeah, I've got about ten more, so hopefully. One oh, mate, right. I came up with a, I came up with a list of six, and they weren't on there. So I yeah. could, mainly because I thought that one of you two would, and it looks like yeah. both of you have done. Um, I'm going to throw out one that I feel like everyone should have on their top five or six centre-back partnerships of all time, just to sort of um, go with your point of, you know, why they were. And I think that me and George sort of discussed beforehand, it's that legacy that they leave behind maybe. And like I said, when a centre-back leaves, the impact that that has. Um, So my first one was Carlos Puyol and Gerard Piquet. Like, iconically fantastic at Barcelona. Like, as, as good as Real Madrid tried to be in the years that Puyol and Pique played together, it was it was just Barcelona. Like, you couldn't get near them defensively together. They, The main reason they are, for me, probably the best of all time is because they also did it on the international stage for Spain. Like, you've got to think about the fact that Sergio Ramos didn't play for Spain for ages because Puyol and Pique just kept him out of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think that the the level of like again we don't have statistics, but the 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 continuity consistency they had with regards to winning big trophies in the time that they were together at centre back was was just ridiculous. Like they won the Champions League multiple multiple times. They won the La Liga title pretty much every season. The Copa del Rey. Um, you know they were winning things like we don't really consider big trophies like the Club World Cup, but. They were winning everything, and it was those two that were the concrete spine of it. So, yeah, my one's PK and uh, PK and Puyol, and yeah, I think actually as well, it says a lot that um, I think that a lot of people thought that Puyol was the better of the two. But actually, if you look at Gerard Piquet, I think he's actually underappreciated as a centre back because even now he's still playing at what, 34, 35, whatever he is, and he still he still holds that Barcelona back line together. Like they won again today. And um, and he was and he played ninety minutes again. So for me, yeah, Puyol PK probably the best of all time. Yeah, yeah I can't um, argue with that. Really, they were on my list as oh, well. Can't argue with it. Boom! Um, <laughs> like two three days ago, I saw a comment about when uh, they were playing together. Puyol came back on from an injury, um, and PK went straight over to Puyol and said something like, "Ah, oh, it's great to have you back in the team, uh, captain," or something like that. And um, and 
first thing Puyol said was shut up and get your head in the game. It's like yeah. no round around, straight to it. <clears throat> yeah, it. like I love Carlos Puyol specifically. Like I, I, I like I said, I think PK is underappreciated, but Puyol, like there's always one clip that always reminds me of him that I can't, I think it was Ronaldinho, I can't remember, but someone had like a lighter thrown at them at the Bernabeu and they were like holding it and walking towards the referee as if to say, look, this has just been thrown at me and he takes it off of him, yeah. throws it off to the side and he's like, just defend the corner. Yeah. It, all he cares about is defending and like I said, as a partnership, like what's the weak point of that partnership? Yeah. Like we said about Grant Hanley, I know it's a really bad comparison, but he's really good in the air. But Puyol and Pique, good in the air. Both can play. Both good at defending one-on-one. Yeah. Adopted Barcelona's play from the back really well. And so yeah. it's just everything about them worked really well for them, yeah. the partnership, and for the team when playing out from the back. Um, yeah. That's a good one, yeah. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> God, God. Right, I'll go for my less controversial one to start off with. I'll go with Torre and Campbell, who were obviously the Arsenal centre-backs for the Invincible season and a couple of seasons after that. Um, I was thinking afterwards, like what Toby was saying about like centre-backs leaving and there being a gap in their team after they le- after they left. And I know that Arsenal had the likes of Koscielny and, and Gallas for a little while, which I think... There is a drop-off in quality there, in my opinion, but I still think they're good centre-backs. But I think when they did leave, you went from Arsenal being a title-winning team to Champions League football. Um, yeah, for those for those seasons they were, that, they, that they were there, they were amazing. And I thought they were really yeah. good, a really good partnership. Agreed. Yeah, I, I didn't have them down again because I thought that someone else would come up with them and I didn't want to sort of waste my, waste my list with ones that I thought would come up elsewhere. I mean, like, <clears throat> I completely agree. And I think that the decline of specific clubs links to their back line more than it does strikers typically. Like, I think that the more solid foundation you have, especially at the top level, you can always make make up for the fact you're not scoring goals. And I think that, like you said, when you take out Campbell and you put in Gallas and you take out um, you take out Colo Torre and you put in Koscielny or you put in... Um, I can't even th- like that's the thing. I can't even yeah. think who else played at centre back for Arsenal for a number of years, and that gradual decline to where they are now. Like even where they are now, and I know this isn't a topic of conversation, but they are a good attacking side, but defensively they you can't really trust them, and they've had mm. to spend fifty million on Ben White to try and sort that problem out. So it says a lot that you know centre backs are becoming more expensive because they are more desired, effective positions. Virgil Van Dijk, John Stones. Um, Ruben Diaz Ben White like players are more expensive in that position now than they ever have been so yeah it's a really good point um, mm. Al did you have anything to touch on about that one? No no I think uh, yeah that's spot on <laughs> I love this because Alistair's tried to come up with a debate topic his his first choice we've ripped apart and then Alistair yeah. is like yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's a debate. I suppose there's a debate, oh. like, who's the better Arsenal centre-back partnership? Is it Torrey and Campbell, would you say? Or is it Adams and Bold? We don't need to worry about that. That wasn't the topic that Alistair yeah. wanted well, to Well, I'm choose. just trying to throw something in there. <laughs> don't try and force something because Alistair's debate has not worked yet. <laughs> Alistair, <laughs> do you want to touch on your second one, then? Yeah. Um, so... The other thing with this as well is 
like I, I tried to look in the past a bit more into uh, you know like um, time generations when I weren't obviously alive or you know really aware of these um, partnerships because you know there's so many obvious ones you could pick on in like you know last 20 years for example um and there are a few which if we if we don't bring them up then and bring like honorable mention mentions and that um but one which i did think of um but i don't have a huge amount of reasoning for um is ac milan partnership maldini and nesta oh mate talk to me about maldini best player of all time in my opinion mate just yeah like again i i've only watched clips from in the past i i didn't watch much of ac milan you know obviously when i was a lot younger because i was a bit more naive in my football and kind of knowledge um <laughs> you thought olaf melberg was better than paolo maldini <laughs> well you know i i did i did admire melberg quite a lot the swede um <laughs> mate paolo maldini like you could talk yeah. about maldini forever for me he's my like george knows because we recently went to anfield and i took a picture with his shirt over anything else in the anfield museum yeah. um he's my favorite player of all time i absolutely yeah. adore him um i watched a lot of him obviously when we were growing up he was coming into his mid and late 30s he played till he was what 41 at the back for ac milan like guy was absolute perfection as a defender like alessandro nesta he doesn't get as much recognition as being a world-class defender as he was, but Paolo Maldini as a player, I think he's got, he's one of the reasons that I love watching defending and being a def like when I have played defense, obviously in the past. And my favorite quote in football is his one. And um, when he says, if your opponent gets a touch of the ball, you've already made a mistake. Yeah. Like, I love that. Like mm. Paolo Maldini's literally in the headspace of we can't let them get a touch, let alone like turn, have a shot or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah no, absolutely agree. The only thing I would say about that is that obviously as much, not as much Maldini, but like that Maldini Nesta era when they were together, they didn't win as much as they should have done in terms of yeah. um, like domestic trophies. They won a lot, but not as much as they should have done. It's not like the PK Puyol Barcelona dominance, but they did win two Champions Leagues. So, one thing which no one, one Champions League, one yeah. two, definitely won two thousand seven Athens. Wasn't it? They definitely won in Athens two thousand seven. I know that. Well, as one thing which always stuck with me with Maldini as well, especially um, was that um, I, I just couldn't believe it at the time that um, his career. You you probably know it. His career was so long that he played through so many legends like. Maradona, Ronaldo, the old Ronaldo, Zidane, new Ronaldo, Ibrahimovic, and Messi, I think. Or I don't think he played against Messi, actually. He didn't play against Messi, but he was still playing when Messi came through. And that was just, you know, incredible. The fact that his career spanned that long. And, he and now his, his son, his son's in the first team as well yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. Which is insane. And he's a winger, not a defender, which is nuts. <laughs> He went yeah. up back there soon. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Like the name Maldini, like, I, I feel this is what I mean. I feel so bad for Alessandro Nesta because he was an unbelievable player. But anyone says Maldini, I, I'm just, oh, I turn into a puddle of happiness because I, I love the bloke. He's such a good defender. I'm unreal. unreal. And I, think, I think one of the things as well which made me think of that partnership was not just, you know, 
similar to the Barcelona, um, you know, of 10 years ago, where it, they were part of this formidable team where yeah. obviously it wasn't just them. It was obviously, you know, likes of Kaka, Ronaldinho in there's, there, Dida, every, all the Blees players. There's the slight difference in that, like, they were dominant in a completely different way. Like, they didn't play beautiful, expansive football. Like, I remember that 2007 final. It was actually against Liverpool in Athens, and Liverpool lost 2-1. And it was just like, right, let's just keep the ball. Let's yeah. just stay solid at the back. We'll not concede any chances and we'll just wait until our chances come. And they never, like, they were never expansive like that. They had players like Filippo and Zaghi up front, who was also an aging striker, but an absolute magician in front of goal. Yeah. Like, this is before Ronaldinho. So they had the likes of Kaka, like you mentioned, but they had Ambrosini, Seedorf, Ambrosini in central midfield. Like, they had Jankowski yeah, at left back, Perlo in holding midfield. They had. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm now and mate, they, they had Ignacio Abate and Dida. Like what? They, they even had they had Rijkaard and Van Basten as well. Marcel Desai. Yeah, mate. Ambrosini. Unbelievable players back in the day. Like really, really good. Like they even had players like who were unsung heroes, like Boriello, who was the sub striker, was decent. Went to went on to have a pretty crap end to his career with West Ham and stuff, but. Yeah, like absolute legends. We've gone off on like a, a love story yeah. about AC Milan. <laughs> go on then. Let's let's have a couple more. I'll, I'm going to go with, I think we've talked about like um, debatable ones. Mine's like, I don't think this one jumps out to you because of their lack of continental dominance where they should have had some and they haven't, is Giorgio Chiellini and Leonardo Danucci. Glad you said that one. Yeah, like, they obviously just won the Euros together at the age of, like, 33 and 35. Like, Chiellini and Benucci, you can't pick which one's better than the other, but they are so good together. Um, I think, like I said, the only issue with them is that they've not won the Champions League, and that is a massive issue for me when you talk about the biggest um, and best centre-back partnerships of all time, because it's the biggest prize in club football. You can't not win it and then yeah. claim to be the best. Like... Like we saw at the Euros, their age has, isn't is just a number. Like Benucci, for, like for me, Benucci's the best one, but it doesn't really matter because together they're like a brick wall. Like you yeah. can't get through them. And for Juve, like their absolute dominance over the last seven eight years, where they've barely let the Scudetto drop away, yeah. they've they've been the rock at the back. Like they've tried to introduce Matthias De Ligt this season, it's not really worked. So they've gone back to Benucci Chiellini and they've started to climb the table again. Like incredible, incredible players. No, I think that's that. I'm like I said, I'm glad you said that one because again, from a generational perspective, from like the last 10, 15 years, that's one which you know it's a silly thing, but like has stuck with me in watching them, um, but also playing with them in FIFA. You you think like <laughs> playing with Juventus, it was always Chiellini and Benucci, and again, they've done it. Um, uh, club level and international together and I was always so confident with having those two where it is on a normal match in ultimate team as well um, it was just like they were such a great um, you know uh, uh, duo partnership um, and you always love it when it is two of the same nationality as well it always makes it a bit more kind of um, I don't know poetic or whatever 
um, just because it, it's almost like a meant to be type of thing with the whole Puyol PK as well. Um, that kind of chemistry just enhances even more because they're from the same nationality. Which, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the success they've had on different platforms. With, I think when you can take a set of that partnership out of a club and plop it into a different team and they still perform so well, yeah. then. Yeah, I mean, they probably would have been playing together for longer had Fabio Cannavaro not been around. Like, just think about that. Fabio Cannavaro kept one of them out of the team when they won the World Cup in 2006. Yeah. And I think we were saying earlier about Ferdinand leaving for another team and how, you know, that dynamic changed. Hey, also... just like, sorry, really quickly, like you listen to the list that we've just mentioned and Rio Ferdinand, that's why he doesn't deserve to be in this conversation. <laughs> No, Maldi just, just... Maldini, Puyol, Chiellini, Bonucci, Nesta, Rio Ferdinand. Like, it's just, well, no, it's just I'm just linking the conversation that we had no, no, I know. what I'm about to say. Okay. Yeah, no, I know. But yeah. what I mean is, like, we talked about Ferdinand at the start. And it's like, yeah, greatest centre-backs ever, Rio Ferdinand. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, was, I was just about to say, uh, you know, obviously there was a massive difference when Bonucci obviously went to AC Milan. And he was he was massively exposed there, and only what lasted a season, and then he went, went back to play with Chiellini again because yeah. you know he had that relationship, as Alistair said. And, you know they that, you know, they played for years together. Um, I, it's probably one part of uh, Benucci's career. He looks back and think, oh, yeah, it was a bit of a mess up by me. Well, it says a lot know, though that Juve broke the bank to get him back instead of going. No, you left us at a tough time. They broke yeah. the bank to bring him back. It's yeah, yeah. And they were unlucky. You think about, like, we talk about their lack of continental success, but they were unlucky because the two Champions League finals they've made in the last sort of 10 years, they've played Barcelona, which had the Neymar, Suarez and Messi front three. And then the other one they made, they played Ronaldo's Real Madrid at their pomp when they had Asensio coming through and they had Benzema in its peak as well. Like, Casemiro was just in absolutely ridiculous form. Modric and you know, like they've been unlucky. I, yeah, I wish that they they had won a Champions League because they would be for me. They'd be like at least second on this list behind Puyol Pique. But yeah. George, what's your third uh, second one? Sorry, mate. Right. So I was also oh. going to go for Chiellini and Benucci as well. So I've gone for a bit of a curveball. Uh, to be honest with you guys. So when I read uh, Alice's message, I didn't realise we were going for like best centre-back partnerships of all time. So I've gone for a centre-back partnership who I feel brought their club to the next level. Okay. These players didn't win a trophy with their club, but when, as we were saying earlier about their difference when they left the club, you know, what sort of gap, you know, that made yeah, yeah. for their team and their defence. So I went for Alderweireld, and the Tongan at Spurs. Oh. I know, oh. I know, but hear me out here. So oh. Alderweireld and the Tongan, when they were at Spurs, was the closest they've ever been to winning a major trophy, right? But as soon as the Tongan left last season, I know it's quite recent as well, um, oh. but you've seen a massive drop <laughs> in, in level, really, in defending. Uh, and I think ever since, yeah, and oh. Alderweireld's left, left as well now. And, I, you know, you look at that centre-back partnership of Mel Sanchez and Dyer, and I think there's been a massive quality drop. And, you know, the results for Tottenham haven't been great since they've left. Um, so, yeah, that was my argument, really. I thought when they were there, they were solid defensively. And they've been, when they were there, 
uh, probably the best defensively they've been for years. So. And we're out of time. Thank you so much. <laughs> I can, I can now we can start a debate, everyone. I can yeah, like where this coming from. I, I, I know I do. I get it. I see, like when I looked at Tottenham when they had Alderweireld and Vertonghen there, you that was hundred percent their best partnership they've had there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For as long as I remember, I don't know. Well, like, I think like Ledley King, Michael Dawson. Yeah. But... That, yeah. So, but um, yeah, hundred percent. I can I can see that. Oh yeah, I see where you're. I see where you're coming from, but obviously it's I know the quality as well. There huh? are, but both Belgium, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both Belgium. Both played in the national team for Belgium. I don't think. I think they played as a three for Belgium. So there would have oh, been yeah, those two that. and Vincent Company at oh. the time. So, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like I can, I get where you're coming from. I completely agree. They probably were the best that Spurs have had for like since Ledley King, Michael Dawson days, but. Um, I guess at the same time they didn't win anything, and uh, like even on top of that, they didn't even finish consistently in the top four, which is the other thing. Like they weren't always a top four side, which is again one of those things where you can go, yeah. Like they nearly won a Champions League, but then again they didn't win a Champions League. Do you know what I mean? So it's um, it's kind of it's one like, of those things. It's kind of like me saying Melberg Lawson for my team. Yeah, it's like I nearly nearly thought of an Aston Villa example actually for this list, but I decided to go for Alderweireld and Tongan. What was the one that you came up with, George? I was thinking Richard Dunn and James oh. Collins. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and what are we yeah. talking about? What are we talking about worst centre back partnership? Yeah, I've got no, confused. I thought no, Alderweireld and yeah. uh, Tongan was more recent, and it just you know. the thing is, if I had the choice of picking a centre back, like not in a partnership, if I had, I know this is not the conversation, but if I had the choice of Alderweireld, Tongan, and Ferdinand. I would pick Alderweireld and Fertongen above Ferdinand. That's how much I think Vidic carried Ferdinand, just to go back to that. Yeah. Because, I, like I say, I get where you come from, George, in terms of the quality that they brought to Spurs at the time. But, um, yeah, I just think it's that thing that if we, if we relate it back to the conversation we're having in terms of best of all time, it is a real struggle to get them into the conversation based on trophies won but yeah. yeah no in terms of like the transition Spurs have made because that's another conversation for another day is the transition Spurs <laughs> made from that Champions League run season it's yeah it's been night and day in terms of what they've had and they've tried to bring in replacements Christian Romero this season has not really worked Davinson Sanchez oh, yeah. you mentioned Eric Dyer just I don't know what position does Eric Dyer play I don't know like Spurs were better when he ran off to go for a poo in that game than when he was on the pitch. <laughs> but, I, you know, it says a lot, doesn't it? I think... I was going to say, sorry, um, just to round it up as well, because I think we're probably pushing it. Well, we'll there. go one more honourable mention each, but we'll just literally say why we think they are and they're not really... Yeah, that's what I was going to do, just an honourable mentions and a couple more which you guys might not have. So if you guys do yours and then I'll clean up any others which you don't have. George, do you want to go for your honourable mention? We'll go in reverse back to Alison. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm going off the top of my head now. Um, I will say Carvalho and Terry. Oh, mate, very, very good shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah very, very years, good shout. Really, really good partnership. Yeah. They were the first, they were actually, if I'm honest, like I look at my list, they were the first one I wrote down because they were incredible for those, what, four years they were together. Mm. They won three Premier League titles, League Cup, FA Cup. Again, didn't win the Champions League, so that's a shame. But 
yeah, an incredible team that was based around those two. So, yeah, really good one. Um, I've gone with a really weird one that I don't think either of you would ever come up with. Um, and the reason for it is, and I don't know how much you both know about this, but I um, I don't know why I've got this obsession with Brian Clough and his Nottingham Forest team back in the day. Like, absolutely adored that team, absolutely adored him as a manager. So I've got Larry Lloyd and um, and Kenny Burns, who were the centre-backs that won two Champions League crowns and the English yeah. title with Nottingham Forest back in the day. Because yeah. first and foremost, Kenny Burns wasn't a centre-back. They brought him in as a midfielder and they played him at centre-back with Larry Lloyd. And both of them, you know, I know comparatively now it would be different, but they cost nothing pretty much. Mm. Um, and they went on to lift Europe's biggest crown with a small club. So, yeah, massive... Shout out to Larry Lloyd and Kenny Burns. But, yeah, that's my honourable mention there. Um, Ali Pally, do you want to round us off, Pete? Yeah, I'll round off. Um, i got... What is it? i got three. I just want to quickly say, just to round them up. Um, one which was, uh, you know, in, in laps like 10 years, which not necessarily a best partnership, but, again, similar to what George was saying, like, uh, influential in terms yeah, of yeah. them moving forward, um, was company Lescott. Yeah, in true. Kind of yeah, yeah. generation of like Man City coming into how they were, how they are now. Um, and com- company as a, as a centre-back on his own, phenomenal. Mm. Could have played with anyone. Could have played with anyone. And just, yeah. Uh, and a big game <laughs> player as well. Like he turned up and actually it impacted both defensively and Often. Can we talk? Can we talk about the fact that Vincent Company was so good they won a title with Matia Nastasic next to him for most of the season? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah, man, Nastasic, flipping up. Nastasic, and they had Stef- yeah. Stefan Savic, was it? The other oh, one. Yeah. They had yeah. the two. They bought two horrendous centre backs yeah. from the Bundesliga. And yeah. Company has carried them. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then really old one. Um, back in the days when England would have actually won a World Cup, Jack Charlton and Bobby Moore. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then the other one I wanted to say, which is a bit of a controversial, not controversial in terms of they weren't great centre-backs, but, you know, they were probably two of the most mischievous, badass kind of centre-backs as a partnership, um, was Ramos and Pepe. Anytime. Oh, Ramos and Pepe. Hey, Ramos Pepe. Ramos Pepe, like, genuinely would be on mine if they weren't yeah. such dicks. Yeah. Like, they <laughs> won what? Yeah. Three, they win three, four Champions Leagues together. Yeah. Four? Mm. I, they won three in a They yeah. won two in a row, three in a row. I can't remember that, but yeah, they were incredible. Like, Pepe. But yeah. You know, oh. the, the great thing help. about them was. You know, they they were great centre-backs, but you always knew you were guaranteed to get some fight or red card or anything, but Mm. they would go in for challenges like there was no tomorrow. You talk about, like, players who put their body on the line. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they jump in front of a train to defend their goal. Yeah, Mm. Yeah, great. Great shouts. We won't rank them. I think that was just a really good conversation fair I, yeah love that great conversation i think that we'll stick without ranking them and just go with the fact that we've come up with some amazing shouts so well done lads yeah. um we're going to round off with the weekly quiz now this week's a little bit different because last week we had one of the worst answers 
in a football quiz of all time. So when George was asked how many goals Sergio Aguero had scored in his Premier League career, George said a 57. Now, 57 was quite far off the 100 and, what was it, 189 that he scored in his career, actually. Oh, 184 that he had scored in his career. So, quite close. Yeah, quite close in terms of nowhere near it. Um, you were about as close as Australia is to me. So, <laughs> but so we're going we're gonna to go with a quiz now of more or less. So basically what we're going to do is I'm going to ask, and we're going to start with George. I'm going to say more or less than 57 goals and then give you the name of the player. <laughs> you just got to tell me whether they scored more or less. Now, Alistair, the problem with this, the way that we're doing it this week, is we're going to do winner stays on. So if George gets it right, George gets number two and so on. But if he gets one wrong, it bounces to you. And it's whoever gets the 10th one right wins three points. Oh. Okay. All right. Now, it currently stands at 9-8 to Alistair. So this could be Alistair pulling away or it could be George taking a shock lead halfway yeah. through our podcasts. But we're going to go with that. Is everyone happy with that? Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so George, more or less than 57 goals. Okay. Ashley Young. Less. Absolutely right. Ashley Young did have less. Ashley Young scored 48 Premier League goals. Number two is Dion Dublin. Oh, it's a good one. I'm gonna go more. It is more. Dion Dublin, this is ridiculous, by the way. Scored 111 Premier League what? goals. What? Yeah, for Coventry. What was it Coventry, Villa, Norwich, Man United? Yeah. Well, he's not talked enough for that, is he? Okay, George, David Silva, Man City's David Silva, more or less? More. It was more. David Silva scored 60 goals in the Premier League. Absolutely Very crazy. Good. Here's, here's, here's a, an interesting one. Number four is Carlton Cole. Less. It is less. Carlton Cole scored 52 <laughs> Premier League goals, the only league he ever played in other than the Championship for one year. What a dreadful striker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's another one. Nicholas Bentner. Less. Ars Arsenal, Birmingham City. Yeah, less. Only 32 oh. goals, Nicholas Bentner. Absolutely horrendous. I'm so going to get the last one wrong. <laughs> number six. <laughs> number six, Kevin Nolan. Oh, I'm going to go more. It is more. He got 69. Haha, <laughs> 69. 69 <laughs> Premier League goals. Okay, next one's a toughie. Lee Bowyer. Which sounds easy, but Lee Bowyer is higher than I thought. <laughs> Less. It's more. No! Lee Bowyer, <laughs> Lee Bowyer scored 58. Really? Goals really? According to what I looked at. According to what I looked at. Wow. Lee Bowyer scored more Premier League goals. So it bounces to Alistair with three names to go. Alistair, number eight, James Beattie. James Beattie, oh. I reckon he's just done more. Way more. 91 Premier League goals for James Beattie. For yeah. Stoke, what was it? Stoke, um, Everton, Southampton. Blackburn? Wasn't he at Blackburn? Might have been at Blackburn as well, yeah. Perfect. Number nine, Gibril Cissé. Um... So I kind of feel like that's a trick one and it's actually less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go go less. 
It is less. Only 32 Premier League goals for Gibril Cisse. Obviously, QPR and um, obviously Liverpool as well. I can't think if he was at anyone else. I don't think that was it. Okay, number 10. So if Alistair gets this right, he wins the points. If he gets it wrong, he loses the points. Alistair, number 10 is Bobby Zamora. Bobby Zamora, oh. Played for what? QPR, Fulham and one other? West Ham. Maybe one. West Ham. Yeah, West Ham. Uh, so I reckon he spent more time... No, I don't know. Oh, it's going to be a complete guess, which is going to be so annoying. Um, let's go. This is big. This is it's so big. <laughs> I'm so stressed. <laughs> Bobby Zamora. By the way, how well has this quiz come out? It's pretty good, though, that. I reckon he's going to be like, I reckon you've put him as 57 goals exactly. <laughs> that's what I reckon. I haven't gone. I haven't gone level because that's not fair. Oh, uh, okay. Bobby Zamora. Imagine if I went. It's 57, so technically you lose. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, this is when you need James, isn't it? <laughs> you need James Russell on this call to tell you exactly how many oh. the legendary Bobby Zamora scored. <laughs> oh, that's so annoying. Um, oh, I don't have a clue. Because part of me thinks that he has scored. He should have scored a fair amount. Especially as a striker, I think he. I don't. I don't know how many seasons he played outside the top flight. You know, I think he maybe played two or three. I was just thinking as he played more in the championship, or he. De- I can tell you for a fact he definitely played more games in the Premier League. Oh, let's go with for, former Bath City player, by the way. Ugh, that's made my mind up. <laughs> back uh, when he uh, was back when he was like seventeen. Oh, um. <laughs> I'm if you could decide, if you could, could, if you could decide by next week, that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of something which makes me influence the decision going more or less. But there's literally nothing, so it is just a guess. So let's go less. It is less. No, I was convinced it was more. <laughs> it was less. Bobby Zamora scored 47 Premier League oh. goals in his career. So Alistair has got the three points. It's now on total for the podcasts. It's Alistair 12, George 8. So I am sorry, George, but I couldn't do anything about it. You let it slip. Alistair has taken it. Alistair gets three points on top of the nine that he had. So Alistair's opened up a healthy four-point gap going into next week's episode. (laughs) Wonderful stuff. Perfect. Lads. Absolutely amazing show, as always. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for listening to us. Please don't forget to watch us on YouTube, listen to us on Spotify, like, share, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, and we will see you soon.